podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Jones! Bowden! He's got it! England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins! Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four and England have won the match! Hello, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. What's happened to Baz Ball? It's gone to sort of stroke ball or even block ball, hasn't it, over the last uh, day, and, uh, day and a bit? Because England piled up a, an impressive lead today in a, a slightly more old-fashioned way, though I suppose you could say they expanded their repertoire a little bit towards the end of the day. But an excellent second day for England, 415 all out, a lead of 264, and uh, they could have taken a couple of late wickets but didn't quite get there was South Africa went in in their second innings and uh, I think the that the overall point I'm going to make is on the first day South Africa got it wrong on the second day they compounded it by getting it wrong after lunch as well your point being that they didn't they just bowled spin after lunch and they, they probably should have bowled the, the pace bowlers straight after lunch yeah it's an interesting point isn't it England scored at 3.9 runs per over in their innings which in any other summer, would seem like a pretty good rate of scoring. Remember when the Australians said they're going to score at four runs and over and everyone sort of marvelled at that and they managed to do it. Everyone said, well, you know, that's, that's magnificent. Well, that's what England basically did today. But compared to what they were doing earlier in the summer when they were scoring it, you know, close to six, it, it was a, a, a marked difference today. And, you know, Ben Stokes played... What he, what he played today, Yoz, was a, a really classy hundred. He made a classy hundred in, in that sort of way that... You just imagine Ben Stokes can play. It was the sort of thing you were talking about, actually, in the lead-up to this Test Series and the lead-up to this Test Match, that he's such a good player that he doesn't actually need to come down the pitch and wipe it and slog it. He can gradually accelerate, as he did today. His second 50 was much quicker than his first 50, and he's got all the shots anyway, which he can produce at the right time. You know, a really excellent 100 today, and, of course, a fine 100 from Ben Folks as well. It was really good to see that uh, he didn't feel compelled to still play a slightly kamikaze game, that he, he uh, backed himself to uh, just ease into his innings and played a couple of you know decent big shots, but nothing really too extravagant. And I think actually uh, the, the bells rang in a way when Harmer, Simon Harmer, the, the off spinner, came on and he tried it. He did hit him for one six, mm. but then he tried a big mow against him another time and the ball bounce just over the top of the stumps and I think then he he, he realised look actually there's a there's a hundred here for the taking the, the pitch was easing the faster bowlers were not on and I, I, he played much more resourcefully Ben folks an excellent foil it's, it's always good isn't it in a partnership to have someone who's you know right-handed as opposed to left-handed and you know hits the ball in slightly different places a quite a calming sort of influence a Quite a composed sort of character, it seems. Second test, 100. Uh, first test, at, first test, 100 at home. So that was really good, putting on, you know, close to 300 to the pair of them. And they put on 173 together and it really gave England that ability to take a decent lead. But I would also say it's important to stress the value of Zach Crawley's innings mm. uh, because he, he did stick it out. And although he only made 38 and got out today to a very good ball. Uh, he, he blunted that 
new ball attack, that fast attack. And I think also gave himself a little bit of breathing space, got a few people off his back because he showed he was prepared to knuckle down. And also, you know, Bairstow too, 49. So, you know, the the hard work, the diligent work was sort of done, which enabled Stokes and folks to prosper. Yeah, it, it was a sort of valuable innings from Zach Crawley. It's not going to you know, capture the headlines. Of course it's not, but it probably is an innings that might give him some confidence. And it really did help the team in, in the sense, OK, he was out 147 for five and the game was in the balance. But what it meant was, I suppose, the way he played, he just absorbed some of that pressure, he absorbed some of the overs uh, from the quick bowlers. And it meant it did exactly what you, you've been talking about, is, is getting the quick bowlers, the fast bowlers, into fourth, fifth spells. And clearly you, you can then uh, you know, profit from that as lower-order, middle-order players. And that was what uh, Stokes and Folks were able to do. Interesting on Ben Folks. So a second Test 100. And he came into this game on the back of naught six naught people sort of, I saw a few people questioning his place in the side you know he's, well, he's you know he doesn't play in that sort of super expansive way that sometimes wicket keepers are expected to to play in uh, these days but I, I saw a tweet from Mike Selby this evening the, the former England cricketer and Guardian correspondent saying that Ben Folks has got as many hundreds as Joss Butler now in a quarter of the matches which is a an interesting observation, an interesting way of looking at it. And it was a high-class innings uh, today because both of those were under pressure. Both Folks and Stokes were under pressure. The game was right in the balance of 147 for five. South Africa did exactly what we talked about last night, get two early wickets, get the overnight batsmen uh, dismissed. And, they, you know, they were in the game and they, they would have sent an opportunity, but that was totally snuffed out by that stand of a 173 between Stokes and Folks. Yeah, the key, of course, was that they were 147 for five, but it wasn't after 20 overs. <laughs> it was after 35.4. So, yes, that the, the faster bowlers were getting into their third spells. The ball was that bit softer. That's when Zach Crawley was out. So, although 147 for five isn't a particularly good position, at least the ball was softer. Whereas in the last test, England were all out in 37 overs and 45 overs in the first inning. So it just it's just about occupation of the crease sometimes. And the the fact is with somewhere like Old Trafford, the, the, more, the harder the ball, the more it bounces, the more it's awkward. But once the ball gets a bit softer, the only danger then is really reverse swing and a little bit of spin. But once you, you've got it in, you can deal with that. It's kind of, it's that surprise factor if, he's, if it's suddenly reversing when you've just come in, then it's obviously difficult to play. But if you can kind of get, you've got the, the, the sense, you've got the, the rhythm of the batting already, you've got the light, you've got the pitch in your mind, it's, it's a bit easier to deal with. And, and I think South Africa obviously massively helped England by bowling two spinners straight after lunch. Mm. You know, what do you do when it's the beginning of a session and the, the stand is only really in its infancy? You give the, the batsman the thing they least want. And that's got to be... The, the the quick bowlers, potentially Rabada and Nokia or Ungidi, and instead they they bowl two spinners, and that just got Stokes and Folks going again. By the time they brought the quick bowlers back, they were well in, well set. The ball was older, just didn't make any sense to me. And and actually, it's the first time I think ever listening on commentary on Sky that. All the commentators agreed with that. <laughs> Nobody was disputing it. Yeah, Maharaj and Harma together. They bowled 45.4 overs, eight maidens, three for 151. Of course, the, the, the plan, 
for South Africa was to get a decent first inning score and then the spinners sort of hold it a bit in the first innings, perhaps threaten as well. But it's the second innings in which they do the damage. But with a, a deficit of 264, I mean, how many is South Africa going to have to score to bring the spinners into play in the fourth innings? I mean, it's, it's going to be something like, you, you think they're going to have to score something like 450, aren't they? Set England mm. 170, 180 plus, something like that. I mean, it might well be, you know, if they were able to do that, they're actually scoring 180, 160 might be quite tricky in the fourth innings. But there's a heck of a lot of work for them to do uh, before they get to that situation, and actually, in a, in a way, they've the, the state of the game sort of now favours Jack Leach. It was interesting that England. I, I know you sort of grasp a bit, don't you, when you've only got nine overs. You know, what, uh, yeah, they only bowled Anderson two overs, and, and Leach was straight into the attack, and he was spinning the ball. There is, you know, there is something there. We saw Harmer rip one uh, today, and you, you could you could sort of see South Africa's thinking, but I don't know. Uh, it, 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 it's felt flawed in the game. It's, it's probably easy to, to post-rationalise. And, I, you know, there were a few people who, who said, a few people actually who sort of know Old Trafford quite well, who, who said they would have batted first on the on the first day. And you could see South Africa's logic. But, it, I don't know, it, it, they, they've been flawed by their decision, really. And, the, yes. and their yeah. inability to get through to lunch on the first day two stroke three wickets down and that was you know that we talked about it yesterday absolute how crucial that first session of the match was it was two wickets versus five wickets and England won England won that battle and it to me I just felt like it was going to be the foundation for one or either you know one of the sides to dominate the game and as it turned out England took the five wickets and it's been it's their foundation to to dominate the match it'd been two down South Africa might have been able to you know really dig in and and get a, a decent first inning score but they weren't able to do so. Now, I think they were compelled to bowl those spinners a lot of overs because they'd selected them. And that was a mistake that, that in a way, compounded by giving them more and more overs and bowling them straight after lunch because of the mistake in the first place, which they'd have to kind of overlook. You know, you then have to get those bowlers working because you've nominated them in your five-man attack. And by the way, they did take three wickets, the spinners, but... The wickets of Broad, Robinson and Leach, the yeah. last three wickets. So, in a way, slightly uh, irrelevant, really. Although, you know, you, you might be right. They might have an impact in the second innings if South Africa can make enough runs to give them something to bowl with. Just one other point about uh, South Africa's bowling. A little talking point, actually. Um, I noticed that the ball was reverse swinging. So, uh, that, that means it was getting scuffed on the, the dry surface and one side was getting more and more scuffed and therefore it was swinging in the opposite way to conventional swing. And what often when that happens, um, the bowler tries to cover the ball uh, to stop the batsman recognising which side the shine is on because he can then detect which way the ball is going to swing. And actually, particularly, Andrich Nokia didn't hide the ball. But... Still, the batsman was slightly uncertain, certainly in the, in the early stages of play. Bairstow and, and le- later on, folks were not quite sure which way it was swinging, maybe Crawley too. Uh, and th- th- there's a fact there that at this time of year, the sun is quite low and quite round behind the bowler's arm at Old Trafford. And if you're bowling with the ball with the sun behind you, it's much harder to see the ball's differentiation, the shiny side and the rough side, because it's all in shadow. Whereas if you're running towards the sun, it's illuminated brightly and you can see the ball and its contours and its shiny side and things much, much 
clearer. The reason I mentioned that, actually, is that that was one of Shane Warne's great philosophies about bowling spin, and he did that a lot at Old Trafford, to try and deceive the batsman into not knowing which way it was going to turn and which where the seam was, was presented and so on. He liked to bowl with the sun at his back because it just makes the ball it's different, harder to differentiate between the grips and so on, uh, especially if it's in shadow. I mentioned that uh, the other day because uh, to, to David Miller, the South African player, who happened to be at the first test in a box, and uh, he's not in the test side, obviously, but he's a very established one-day player. And I was talking about the difficulties of facing leg spin in ODIs and you know, white ball cricket and why is Rashid Khan and Adil Rashid, why are they so successful? He said, because you can't pick them with the white ball because of the glare from the floodlights sort of off the ball. And sometimes it deceives them into thinking you, you, you're not sure kind of which, which way it's going to spin because of the sort of glare from the, the floodlights. And I said, well, Warren likes to kind of use that sun or floodlight in the same way to... Deceived batsman. It's a long-winded way of saying there are a few little tricks up bowler's sleeves which aren't immediately obvious. Yeah. Well, but what one thing about that though? I mean, in the old days, well, the old Trafford pitch was was um, they, they turned it round. Remember that the square's been t- yes, turned they round. Did, yeah. And it was clear in the old days the dipping sun in the evening. It, it would be re- right in the batter's eyes when you're batting at one end of the ground. There's sort of that station end of the ground, if you, if you know old mm. Trevor. Now they've turned the pitch round. Is that does that still apply with the, with the pitch? Well, it does. Round? It does at this time of year. Because right. I, I looked actually, and it was definitely the case that when Nokia was running into bowl, the sun was sort of over his right shoulder. Uh, you know, not not too low because obviously yeah. it was the morning. And Rabada was definitely running into it. So it was easier to see the shiny side and the rough side when Rabada was bowling than when Nokia was bowling. Neither of them took any wickets after that first early spell anyway. So England played them really well. I mean, the, the, the expertise shown to playing reverse swing, playing it late, waiting for the ball to come to you, trying to figure out which way the bowler is trying to swing it and allowing for that, keeping your pads out of the way, uh, both Stokes and Folks did that brilliantly. Yeah, I thought it was a ma- you know, magnificent innings uh, from Ben Stokes. I mean, he was the one that sort of led it in a way. I, you know, they were sort of matching each other into the forties, and then Stokes sort of took it away and you know got to his hundred uh, much quicker. It was actually his, his sixth fastest hundred of his of his twelve for Ben Stokes. So it, it shows how he he did sort of rein himself in uh, today. I, I just thought it was such a, a clever. Innings, a, a very good way to publicise his, his new film, isn't it? On the day it's released, uh, to come up with a hundred like that. Wow. It was a yeah, a re- a, a, mm, that's true. A, a really sort of eye-catching innings. He, he went to his fifty in a hundred and one balls, his hundred and hundred and fifty-eight balls. So that you know that is, I think that's the point, isn't it? That we we know that he's good enough to defend at the start, knock it around, get to fifty, and then you, he's got all the shots. He, he can accelerate, but you, you know you you have these views on how he should play. You know, ultimately it's up to him how he wants to play, isn't it? And you know, it's been successful uh, this summer in, in a team environment. Perhaps he's been just a bit frantic at times. But I wonder whether today is that innings that sort of I don't know settles everyone down and just sort of convinces everyone that look, you know, you, mm. you, you can have the confidence to play like this and st- and still it can still be beguiling and successful. Um, England have played very differently in this series. 
uh, to the you know, the previous four test matches uh, this summer, it, it seems to me. They'll probably say, no, we haven't. But it, it does feel like that. It does feel they played a, a, a slightly different way uh, in, in this series. They weren't, weren't allowed to play at Lords, were they really, with the quality of the South African bowling and the pitch and the conditions and that sort of thing. But it was, it was it, yeah, it did feel like a very different sort of England batting performance today. And, you know, they got over 400, but they got them much slower than they, they have been doing. OK, then, Yos, what about the position of the game before we move on and talk about the high-performance review report that was released by the ECB today? Just pick some of the, the main points uh, out about that. It might have got lost, actually, in, the, in the, the cricket today. The state of the game, South Africa in their second innings, 23 for no wicket. So a long way behind, 264 behind on first innings. They've knocked off 23 of them. Three days to go. Uh, how, how do you see the game from here? Do you see any chance of South Africa thwarting England in this test no. match? No, I don't. 241 behind. Uh, I see them getting bowled out for sort of 350 maybe. Perhaps it, perhaps less. Jack Leach will, will do a lot of bowling. He looked a little bit rusty in the first innings, uh, but uh, he was better today and, and posed a few problems, asked a couple of questions in three overs at the end. I think it'll reverse swing, as I said. Anderson, absolute master of using that. He'll get some LBWs. And the other player, I think, that might have an impact will be Stokes again with the, with the ball. I think I can see him actually getting the ball to swing both ways with the older ball and, and probably getting some LBWs. So I think the umpire's fingers are going to be quite active with lots of bowling at the pads. And uh, South Africa is trying to keep their legs out of the way and getting the back to the ball, but may not be successful. They do have a longish lower order, let's say. And so England, if they can break the back of that top four, then you feel that they should be able to bowl South Africa out for between three and 350. And that'll mean they only need about 100 to win. What do you think? Yeah. Uh, well, I think Elgar and Avia, their, their opening partnership is important. How quickly Inga can get rid of those two, get into the middle order. Van der Dusen, of course, is off the field for a large part today with a, a finger injury. You know, watch this space on that one. Yeah, but I presume he'll bat. But you know, how incapacitated will he be? I mean, it's scoreboard pressure, isn't it? You know, we've 264 is a huge lead. Uh, but South Africa will say, well, if we, you know, if we can set England something, I don't know, 140, 150, then perhaps we do have a, a chance in the game. What will the pitch be like by the time uh, we get there? Well, we'll be probably well into the fourth day. South Africa tomorrow, they need to have a sort of 280 for four day. Mm. That, that's their goal, isn't it? Something like that to have any chance you feel in, in this test match. I mean, it's not going to be a draw. The weather's set fair. If it's a draw from here, something remarkable is going to happen in the next three days. It's going to go one way or the other. And of course, uh, you would say heavily in England's favour. So England got the opportunity to win their fifth test match of the summer out of six. Now, the high performance review report that was released today is all about uh, making England's test match team or international team, men's team, as successful as it possibly can be. Well, they've had a, they've had a good summer. They you know they've won the World Cup. They're World Cup defending champions in, in 50 over cricket. But you know they've had disappointing times. Thra you know they regularly thrashed in Australia, regularly thrashed in India, and that the, the review is supposed to be about trying to. Uh, remedy that and what changes can be made in the game. It's a sort of consultation stage. Uh, there, he says there were a lot of questions posed in it. Uh, let's just pick out uh, some of the, the, the main well, points. Well, I'm going I'm to highlight four sort of headlines from four different slides yeah. 
So the first one, it's it's under the the, the, the headline skills development. And the first headline is, and, and it's accompanied by some graphics, England seam bowlers do not travel well. Well, we know that. Mm. Uh, second one is spinners have limited opportunity to develop in the domestic game. Well, we certainly know that. England actually have the worst amount of spin bowled in domestic cricket of all the countries, interestingly, but we sort of knew that as well. Uh, third headline is England batters are less dominant at home. Well, that's because of the Duke ball and obviously the pitches and so on. Uh, so, again, we kind of knew that and we've seen it quite a lot in the last uh, two or three years. And then the final one, which is a good one, actually, overseas experience tends to aid transition to international cricket. And in fact, the uh, the Indians and the Australians and the New Zealanders seem to do more playing abroad uh, with their Lions or their A-teams uh, than England do. England have sort of well down the list of countries that play a sort of A-team abroad. And uh, the, the benefits of that are undoubtedly uh, clear. That You know, if you play more overseas, you are going to be better at international cricket. So I think a lot of this stuff is quite tautological in a way. What do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anything sort of particularly novel in it in, in terms of some, some of the conclusions. I mean, it is a discussion document. Uh, I mean, some of the things that have been, other things that have been suggested is, well, keeping a four a 14 game championship next season but actually cutting down the first division uh, reducing the number of teams in the first division I mean it's gone up to 10 hasn't it uh, th this season is, is 10 talking about reducing that talking about moving the the 50 over competition to so April time talking about playing a north versus south fixture first class match overseas at the start of the season and that plays into this idea of getting more experience uh, overseas you know that's a, a, another thing that's talked about also sort of multi-year contracts for England players so rather than just one-year central contract multi-years I wonder whether that's sort of aimed more at de developing pace bowlers looking after your pace bowlers so that you know that's another thing um, but but I also said and uh, one, one other thing was also bringing back the under 17 team so this sort of early development of, of players uh, that, that's another thing but I, I think one of the things I took from it is, it's all in the detail, is this idea of getting more experience of, of playing in overseas conditions, developing uh, your players. I mean, there's a lot in it, and, and it's a, it's actually there's actually 37 slides. Mm. If I were to be one of the things, if I were to be critical of the report, is the, the some of the proposals are buried right at the end, and actually what what people want to know what is the what are the conclusions of this report, and they need to be at the top in some sort of executive summary. But anyway, if you want to look at the report, the slides they are quite. Talk you know, neatly and clearly laid out, but they're they're right at the the bottom. So you know that that would be uh, my view. I mean, is it going to change things radically? I don't know. Is you know, it, it, there's a lot of generality and perhaps not much sort of fine detail. And that's yeah, perhaps inevitable. Well, that's in often a, the way with a, a these report like that, this. That's yeah, often the way yeah. with these slide decks, yeah. isn't it? I mean, now it requires yeah. some sensible thinking. Uh, I mean, one thing I picked up on here, which again is we probably all know, is the majority of the best red ball players are not in the hundred. And that makes a lot of, yeah. uh, of sense that, therefore, we should be playing red ball cricket of some kind while the 100 is on, whether it's the county championship. And a lot of people, in fact, I was talking to Richard Thompson the other day, uh, the new ECB chairman, former chairman of Surrey, or maybe still chairman of Surrey, uh, who's a very progressive man, actually, and also extremely tall, so you don't want to argue with him. But he was saying that uh, for Surrey, in the 100, he reckoned they lose nearly 20 players to various teams. Mm. 
from the 100. So it would seriously re- restrict their ability in the county championship for a month. And I, I suppose I can see that that issue. It doesn't affect every county, but that, that is a very extreme disadvantage. So I can see the argument for not playing perhaps the championship during August. And it seems as if actually that the Royal London Cup has, has met with some quite uh, popular uh, you know, acclaim amongst county fans generally. But also, mm. how do you get the English Red Bull batters playing in cricket in August? Well, the regional idea is is a good one because it's the stepping stone between county and international and they're not doing anything else. So that sounds like a quite, quite a sensible idea. I mean, some of them are obviously playing in the Royal London, but that sounds like a sensible idea to get some Red Bull cricket played in August, which just, it's it just it's sacrilege not to have proper cricket. And I say proper, you know, Red Bull cricket. I like the white ball game, obviously, but, you know, let's have some Red Bull cricket in August. It's nuts not to. But one, one thing I would say about that, yeah, I mean, I, you, you, you'd sort of think, yeah, that's a good idea to play Red Bull cricket in August. The only thing I would say is that, because it doesn't, we wouldn't feed into test match cricket, would it? Because there are, there are not going to be test matches well, in August. But they're coming up in September, 100. though. Yeah, that that's true. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Yeah, but, uh, okay. So you lead in, you lead into September, and also I suppose you want, you know, you talk about spin bowlers. You want them to bowl yeah. in, in something like yeah, August, don't you? Of where, you do. where the pitches are more, no, mo- most conducive to definitely. spin. Yeah, and you yeah. know, I I can remember many years where, you know, Mike Gatting couldn't wait to get the ball off me after three overs with a new ball to give the spinners a go, and mm. they bowled for the rest of the day, and that was absolutely lovely, actually. Fast bowlers got five overs with a new ball, and then basically roamed around the boundary and but then all we did then was were night watchmen <laughs> and we just feel I, I mean it was sometimes it was a bit poison chalice because you ended up a bit of short leg to a spinner or something with someone trying to sweep the ball all the time but generally it's it, it, it's great it's just nice variety you know and you play on some out grounds as well at times and the pitches are a bit different and the crowds will get a bit closer and I don't know. It's just a different sort of flavour of the game, which keeps everyone yeah. everyone interested and engaged. Yeah, I mean the point being, you move the fifty over competition to April time, and and then you can play red ball cricket where the Royal London Cup is being played at the moment. That's that's one of the uh, the suggestions. The other the other one actually that, that caught my eye, Yoz, We've talked about balls a lot. We talk a lot of balls, but we also <laughs> talk about balls. Uh, is that you know, they're talking about not playing with the Duke's ball because you know when England go abroad, they have the Cookerborough, for example, and they, they don't often bowl very well with it because a well it doesn't do very much. You have to sort of learn to bowl with the Cookerborough, don't you? To learn to be effective with it using what about, so what about using different balls in in English domestic cricket? I mean, I know one of your thoughts is they should just use the Duke's balls all around the world, but I mean. Stuart Brawl actually panning the Duke's ball uh, last night in his... his well, it's just a bad bat. It's a bad interview. batch, isn't it? it, it it's, this year, something to do with the cows yeah. not eating the right grain or something, or some COVID issues that they haven't... They put too much alcohol in the leather when they were tanning it or something like that. It, you know, things have just gone a bit wrong for the, in the preparation and the making of the balls, but I'm sure they'll be back to normal next year. So I don't think Broad, okay, so, so I don't think Broad needs to worry too much. M- maybe he won't be playing next year anyway. <laughs> Well, well, you, you might you might might want an Ashes uh, swan song, but, but but what about the point about using different types of balls in English domestic cricket? Every ball cricket is slightly different. Uh, you know, even a batch of Duke, some are dark, some are light. I wouldn't go as far as that, really. I think the Kookaburra balls are rubbish. 
I, I wouldn't like to see them being but, they, used. but England have to bowl with them yeah, when they go true. to Australia. So I, I'd rather see England. Australia using the Dukes, and they have done in Sheffield Shield cricket. It's just a better ball. And they have to, yeah. tried it in Sheffield Shield, and apparently they quite like it. But the powers that be, and probably a bit of uh, political pressure from an Australian company, has uh, ensured that the Kookaburra mm. is still the one but, they use for internationals. Yeah, and that's the point. But when you know when England go to Australia next time, I'm I'm absolutely certain or reasonably certain that that they're going to be using a kookaburra ball. So therefore, learn to bowl with a kookaburra ball in the same way that Australia went to a a Duke's ball. So so when they come to England, they'll they'll have learned to play against a Duke's ball. I think that that's sort of the point, isn't it? Really, that you have to sort of you have to adapt to prepare yourselves to try to do well overseas because. You know, some of these against some of the major countries, i.e., India and Australia, England have not done uh, particularly well of late. Mm, I mean, I've actually for quite a long time, as far as Australia's may, concerned. Maybe the, the, the option or the, the, the choice is that you could play with the Duke's ball in the middle of the summer when the pitches are a bit flatter and the Kookaburra, the Kookaburra in April and May yeah, when yeah. they're a bit juicier or something. Maybe a bit of a compromise, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. Anyway, there are lots of suggestions in this high-performance uh, review. And w what's going to happen now is it's sort of going to go out for uh, the discussion. We, we, Working parties. Proposals. When, Isn't it? Well, well, it'll enter a consultation stage now and actual that's recommendations. Just a, that's just a modern word for working parties, isn't it? Well, whatever, yeah. Well, you know, they'll probably talk to lots of people, won't they? Recommendations uh, delivered in late September. So, I mean, there w it wasn't that much that was... So particularly new, there are, you know, there are a few suggestions that we've talked about. You know, moving the, you know, reducing the number of uh, teams in the first division, playing with different ball, getting players to play abroad a bit more, longer contracts for for England players. You know, these sorts of things have been suggested, and now these things will be discussed with presumably firm recommendations with ev with everyone presumably on board. You know, you get everyone on board. You try to get some sort of consensus. I think one of the problems is with the English game. There there are so many vested interests that are hard to satisfy and that's been one of the problems and you know there are, you know, we know one of the divisions in the game at the moment is between sort of county members not all county members but some county members and uh, and, and the hundred you know are opposed to it they uh, it, it's it's not it's not easy uh, to satisfy anyone would you, i mean would, presumably you would agree Oz, with the, the the idea that the england team is sort of fundamental to the success of the english game I mean, do, do you do you think that I, I think one of the issues is not you know your county supporters probably don't necessarily think that they probably think I don't know they think that perhaps their county side is that is the most important thing in the way that football supporters feel that their team is the you know their their local team that they support is more important than the England national teams okay if the England national team does well you know in the old world cup or European championship but actually fundamentally they want their team that they support to do well in the, in the in the various leagues and cup competitions they play in fundamentally england is obviously important really important because it's the pinnacle for the players and they can all aspire to play for england and they do most of them and secondly it it brings in the revenue it, it obviously attracts the crowds it attracts sponsors it attracts tv rights so it's clearly very important for the survival, for the future, for the prosperity of the game. But the reason the 100 was brought in was to create that mm. layer of uh, importance, attraction, uh, entertainment, and therefore revenue 
that made that meant you weren't reliant on England performing well at international mm. level. It, it in a way replicated the incredible success of the Premier League, which is now its own entity. And, and football doesn't rely on the success of the England team. It's predicated around the success of the Premier League and, and obviously lower divisions. So in a way, what they're trying to do, what they were trying to do with the 100 is sort of hedge and create a layer below international so that you're not just reliant on, on the performance of the England, England team. But of course, all these players that are signing up for franchises and the 100 and so on, they need the exposure, the, uh, the challenge of international cricket to attract the franchise owners to buy them. So still, of course, international cricket is vital. Yeah, well, that that yeah, that might change though. I mean, some someone like uh, Will Smead, for example, he's he's not played international cricket, but he's sort of one of those sort of hot properties. Isn't well, David he? Warner came through. Uh, in fact, he ended up playing uh, for Australia before he'd yeah. even played for New South Wales, didn't he? Uh, because he he'd done well in in the shorter formats. There there will be exceptions. And actually, I mean, Will Smith might well get selected for the England T20 World Cup, yeah. mightn't he? So for their T20 World Cup team or squad. And in a way, England would be adventurous and slightly mad if they didn't give him an opportunity, perhaps in the, the matches in Pakistan or something. I mean, he, he's going to get the chance, hopefully. But still, the majority need the exposure and the challenge of playing for England to draw attention to themselves, to improve their game, and ultimately be successful. Yeah. Well, we we could debate and talk about this until play starts tomorrow on the on the third day at Old Trafford. Yeah, it's too short. It might be, but it might it might be time to to draw the uh, draw the curtains over this <laughs> uh, discussion. Anyway, so late late September recommendations will be delivered on the high performance review and we'll, we'll find out you know, which direction uh, the game is going to go then in terms of the direction of this test match it looks as though England are firmly in control of the match with that big first innings lead it, they will be seriously disappointed if they don't win the game from here good good game for South Africa to sort of get out of really with anything from it uh, from this position it doesn't happen very often in test cricket and I'll need some really determined uh, batting on the third well and, and well into the fourth day you'd feel to uh, resist England in this match we'll be back with our review of the third day after play tomorrow thanks very much for listening goodbye for now <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network.